Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. This is episode four. If we were downloading this on our TV, if we were live streaming this, if we were binging this story, this would be episode four. And like most of these things, some of you missed episode one. Or maybe you forgot what it's about. And usually they start what's called a, with a recap. And very fast they go through the earlier episodes. And now this is where we are today. We're going to do that now, but before we do, let's just ask God to help us as we recap, as we catch back up to probably the most incredible story that's really ever been put into print. So, Heavenly Father, we ask you to do that. Your word, you told us, is alive. It is powerful. We know it is. We, we know at times it just pierces right into our heart with truth that, that either encourages us or challenges us or rebukes us, but it gets in there. And we can't deny it. And so, Father, we pray that this word of God, revealing to us the, the very early days of the, the building of the church of Jesus Christ, that this word would, would just make our church today seem like it's brand new. Not like it's 2,000 years later, but like it's still the very same thing that Jesus was beginning at the very start of it. So, Father, just make your word come alive to us and help us as we think our way through it that your spirit would give us clear thoughts and accurate thoughts and we'd go home today resolving to do some things that are purely the result of his work in our hearts. We ask you that now in Jesus' name. Amen. This story, as I mentioned before that we have in Acts chapter 10, that Peter's encounter with Cornelius, it's one of the most important world-changing stories ever put down in print. Because you see, without the actions of God that are recorded in this story, there is not a way in the world that any of us would be saved. So let me give you a brief recap how this story goes. It started right at the beginning of chapter 10. It began with an angel of God being sent to a God-fearing Roman centurion named Cornelius who was on in his regular time of prayer, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Cornelius, though he was a Gentile, he believed in and followed the teachings of the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was a prayerful man, and he was a generous man, particularly to the poor. And the angel who appeared to him told him that God had noticed him and had taken note of his good deeds, and that there was a man named Peter in the city of Joppa, which was 40 miles away, whom Cornelius should send for. This Cornelius did. He sent two servants of his and a Roman soldier, I think just to make sure they were protected and to make sure that Peter came. 
Cornelius did that. And while his men were on their way to Joppa, God gave to Peter a vision that would prepare Peter for the arrival of Cornelius' men, these three Gentiles. Peter saw what looked like a big sheet, a big sheet coming down out of heaven. And I've always pictured a bed sheet, somehow a big bed sheet kind of filled with animals. Alan Giles put a different picture in my mind. Now, that's Alan Giles Sr., the guy with gray hair. Right down the road today, where is he? There he is, coming in with his little boy, is Alan Giles Jr. He had nothing to do with this, but Alan Giles Sr., by the way, I'm glad you and your family are here today. It's awesome to see you all. But Alan Giles said to me, what he pictures is like a movie screen, a sheet You know, sometimes these days you can do that in the backyard with your kids. You just put a sheet on something and then you project a a movie on it if it's dark enough and everybody at Grandpa's house has movie night. So we can tell what Alan's been doing in his house. But he said he pictured that almost like as though God dropped a sheet like that and then projected on that sheet the image of every known animal and even animals I'm sure that Peter had no names for. And so Peter sees all the animals. Every kind of animal, the Bible says. There were animals that the law of Moses said are clean animals that God's people were allowed to eat. And then there were also animals that were what the law of Moses called unclean animals that no Jew was allowed to eat them because that's just the the rules they live by. So they were all there, clean animals, unclean animals. And God tells Peter, just get up and kill and eat. And Peter says, I can't do that. Not indiscriminately. Some of these are clean. Some of these are unclean. I've never eaten an unclean thing in my whole life. And I'm not going to start now, is basically what he was saying. But as God revealed this to him again and again three times, Peter got the idea that God was telling him, things that you have previously called unclean are not unclean any longer. And you shouldn't look at them that way. So as Peter is pondering this, a knock comes at the door and it's the three men from Cornelius' house. Gentiles that the Jews had previously always referred to as unclean, where the Jews were God's chosen people. Well, the Spirit of the Lord talks to Peter and he says, the men down there I have sent, you go with them. And so Peter went with them. Peter and several other Jewish believers from Joppa traveled to Cornelius' home, the home of a Gentile in Caesarea. And Peter, as he just entered into that place, and Cornelius says, the angel told me to get you and now we are here waiting to hear what God has told you to say. And last week we studied, we looked at, we discussed what Peter said. We called it a most marvelous message Seven outstanding truths that make up the gospel, the salvation message, and all of them are incredibly important. We looked at each one of those aspects. Peter's message touched all the bases regarding the person of Jesus Christ and the possibility of forgiveness through his name. Now that, as Peter is sharing this message... 
That is the place where today we pick up the story. Today's key scripture takes us on from there. And here we are. Today's key scripture now is Acts chapter 10, verses 44 to 48. Not a very long passage, but it says, starts out, while Peter was still speaking these words. What words? Well, the words we called last week a most marvelous story, message, the story of Jesus Christ. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard his message, the whole house full of people. The circumcised believers, that's the Jews, who had accepted Christ as their Savior, but they were Jews who were believers in Jesus Christ. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. That's like saying God even loves my worst enemy. That's hard to take in if you have a worst enemy. So they were amazed. The gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they, the Jews, heard them, the Gentiles, speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he, that is Peter, ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they, that's the Gentiles in Cornelius' home, including Cornelius, then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Quite a wrap-up to this this whole story of, of the situation of getting Cornelius and getting Peter together, and then the marvelous message that Peter gave, and, and then the response, what happened, even while Peter was still giving that message. The door to the Gentiles was not merely open. It was literally blown off its hinges by the same violent wind that had descended on the apostles on the day of Pentecost. That story is in Acts chapter 2, you remember. It was Pentecost part 2. The same thing. The same violent coming of the Holy Spirit. The same dramatic coming of the Holy Spirit. Peter says they've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Now this morning, the time we have, I want to share with you You could write this down. You don't have it on your outline as a heading, but I'm going to share with you five marvelous salvation realities. Five salvation realities. And these all grew out of Peter's most marvelous salvation message. Now, these salvation realities are as true today as they were that day. It's possible that one or more if not all five, might challenge your thinking. You might say, I never really looked at salvation that way, quite that way before. I know these five have certainly challenged my thinking this last week. So here's the first. And for some of us, it might be the most challenging reality of all. Number one, salvation is a work initiated by the Holy Spirit. 
Listen again to these words and picture the situation. We read in verse 44, first part of it, while Peter was still speaking. Peter had more to say. The seven things we picked up last week is what God wanted these people to hear and what I would believe the Holy Spirit wants us to hear. That's where the scripture account ended. Peter was going to go right on, it would seem. While Peter was still speaking, verse 44b says, the Holy Spirit came. I want you to notice something. And I'm sure you've noticed it already. It's pretty obvious by its absence. Peter never made it to an altar call. He didn't give his message. And then he didn't say to the people, so what do you think about that? Is the Lord stirring your heart? Does it make sense to you? Do you realize that what you need to do is give your life to Jesus Christ? What you need to do is come forward here and repent of your sins and allow me to pray for you and maybe you could fill out a little card so I can remember what happened. And Peter didn't have an altar call. He might have been leading toward one in his own human flesh, but he didn't get there. Peter never gave any invitation at all. Peter didn't share any three-step plan of salvation, any plan of action. Peter simply declared the truth regarding Jesus Christ, and the Spirit did the rest. The scripture says he came upon them. He overwhelmed them. He amazed them. Peter declared the truth and the spirit came upon them in a powerful way. The spirit on that day functioned just like Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that he would. If I could paraphrase Jesus' words just a little bit to Nicodemus, Jesus said, like the wind blows, like the wind blows, and you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going, so comes the Holy Spirit, bringing new birth to those he has come upon. You can't schedule it. You can't take 10 steps toward it. You can't talk people into it. You can't make sense for them that they can't deny. You declare the truth, Peter did, the truth about Jesus Christ and the Spirit all on his own, completely under his own direction and will, came upon them as that truth was given to them. Like the wind blows, so comes the Holy Spirit, bringing new birth to those he has chosen. Now the truth of it is, as you look through the scripture, as we think back upon our own lives, the Holy Spirit always comes in conjunction with the presentation of God's truth. He doesn't just come upon people and put God's truth in their heads just like that. There always must be someone bringing, declaring, or having written down that they can read the truth of God. The truth of God is always the power of God unto salvation. But it's the Holy Spirit who does the saving. 
He always comes in conjunction with a presentation of God's truth, but he does not require and no doubt is frequently grieved by the well-meaning manipulations of men. I wonder how often the Holy Spirit when God's truth has been declared, has been presented purely and properly and accurately, and he's just about ready to come upon somebody that some overzealous man decides he can talk these people right into salvation. And the Holy Spirit winds up saying, Brother, you just mucked it all up. You just mucked it all up. You did good in presenting the truth. Declare the truth. You're a spokesman for God. You're a student of the scripture. Declare the truth. But don't think you have to deliver the goods. And you have to stir around in their heart themselves. And bring about a result that then you can calibrate. I just wonder how many times the Holy Spirit has been grieved by the well-meaning manipulations of men who have to bring things to a point of decision. Because we want to know. We want to know now. Did what I say do any good? Did what I say penetrate any hearts? Did what I say make any difference? Can I tell the people who support me that I'm making a difference in the world? Or is it enough to just say, I declared the word of God. I declared the truth of God. I clearly expressed the plan of salvation. I told them all the things that the scripture says are true. And then we, we left the Holy Spirit to do Holy Spirit work while I did the work of a prophet or a preacher or a teacher or a declarer of God's truth. See, just declare God's truth. That's all Peter wound up doing. That's all the Spirit requires. I kind of hate the term. She led him to Christ. I led them to Christ. See, that, that's people trying to get into the realm where, where the Spirit of God works. And we can do that for all kinds of reasons. The thing that we people... That's what we ought to do. When you're sharing your faith with a, with a friend, with somebody who wants to know what makes you different, you tell them the truth. You tell them the story. You walk them through the person of Jesus Christ that you've understood is the Lord of the entire universe. I've come to believe in Jesus. He's the Lord of the whole universe. And he came to earth. And he laid down his life as a human being then upon the cross. He died for the sins of the world. And God raised him up on the third day. And he ascended to heaven. He's alive today. And he sent his Holy Spirit into the world to, to convict people of that truth. And, and when that spirit puts new life in them, he then links himself to them. And he walks through them until they take their last breath. And it's the most marvelous life anybody can ever lead. Or live. And then you say to yourself, Oh, I hope the Holy Spirit brings these truths to their heart. 
I hope the Holy Spirit can open their eyes to understand them, but it's not my job to pry their eyes open. It's not my job to make God's truth make sense to them. It's not my job to defeat every argument they have. Because when the Holy Spirit's involved, no one can argue. He comes like a mighty wind. He comes and he works in a person's heart. And apart from his work, all we have maybe is a human agreement that frequently lasts no more than the meeting time lasts. See, salvation is a work that is initiated by the Holy Spirit. Peter observes in verse 47, they have received the Holy Spirit. I've had some new insights for me about that word receive. We use that word receive so often to say, I got, I took, I reached out and got. The Bible more often and like here is talking about what I received, what was given to me before I even knew anything about it, before I decided to do anything, before I reached out to grab it for myself because I need to be saved. These people received the Holy Spirit. He just came upon them. They didn't make any decision. They didn't say, now, Peter didn't say, now, you see what's happened to some of your friends. If you will receive the Holy Spirit yourself into your heart, this could happen to you. No, there wasn't any of that. The Holy Spirit came upon the people in that meeting that the angels of God had set up that meeting for that very purpose. And so every one of those people in that place was a, was a target of the Spirit of God. And when the Word of God was given by the man that they had, been, that they had brought to give it, they received exactly what God wanted them to have. And it was powerful. It was life-changing. They've received the Holy Spirit. And this leads us, that, that conclusion that the Apostle Peter made, they have received the Holy Spirit, leads directly to the second spiritual reality this morning, a challenging one. Spirit-initiated salvation is undeniable. Put yourself now in the position of one of those Jewish believers whom Peter had brought with him as witnesses to this world-changing encounter. Here's how Luke reported it, verse 45. He says, the circumcised believers, that's the, that's the Jews that came with Peter, including Peter, came from Jerusalem, more specifically from Joppa at that point, into the house of a Gentile to declare the truth of God. The Holy Spirit comes upon them, and the circumcised believers were astonished. Have you ever been astonished by nothing? No. It takes something to astonish you, doesn't it? Some of you are so hard to astonish. You've seen it all, you've heard it all, you've done it all, you've been everywhere. It's very little that you can, somebody can tell you and say, Holy mackerel, does that blow me away? That astonishes me. Linda and I were astonished, actually, by a, just a, an amazing earthly thing a couple days ago. If you turn it on, you'll probably be astonished, too. There's a 19-year-old boy 
almost man, who has joined the National Basketball Association. He was the number one pick in the draft. He comes from France. I didn't even know they played basketball in France. He's six foot, he's seven foot four. When he spreads out his arms like this, from this finger to this finger is eight feet. He can block a guy at the foul line from the out-of-bounds line. I mean, and we saw him play, just they'd reduced down in the preseason here a, a certain, well, actually it was only 90 seconds. It wasn't a compilation of things. It was just a steady stream of just 90 seconds of him. Seven foot four, bringing the ball down the court like Magic Johnson would have years ago, spinning, agile, uh, blocked a shot where he was three feet away from the guy, so he didn't foul him, couldn't foul him, and with his giant reach, he's blocking the ball three feet above this man's release, and he's three feet away from him. You say, you can't do that. And then he dribbles the ball all the way down the court and, and uh, receives a pass and gets a rebound and dunks the ball over a guy who's six foot ten and the guy looks like a midget next to him. That astonished me. What's his first name? Victor. Webanyama, I think. I think they're going to call him Webby. He's French. He's astonishing. It takes something to astonish you once you've seen most things. These people were astonished. Never saw anything like that. And they're believers. They were astonished. And they heard them. See, these Cornelius and his family and friends, they were saying things that could be heard, real things. Not invisible things inside their heart, but real things. And see, they could not deny something powerful was going on. And what was going on was the very same thing that Peter had experienced on the day of Pentecost. And Peter tells them that. This is the real deal. Spirit-initiated salvation is undeniable. Just occurred to me this morning as I was thinking about that, first of all, when it comes to salvation, that the Holy Spirit has, has really brought in somebody's life when he's brought new birth. Jesus said, you must be born again. A person cannot be born again and not know it. Oh, I might have been born again. Guess what? You've not been born again. You cannot be born again and be ignorant of it. When the Spirit comes into a person's life and he puts new life in them, you know it. Now, everybody might feel it and express it somewhat differently, but they know if they've been born again, if the Holy Spirit has put spiritual life into them, they know that their life has been changed. Something happened. I've shared with you several times over the years my own sense of change. The morning after I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior the night before. I was nine years old. I awoke that morning 
that first morning after the night where I committed my life to Jesus Christ. It was the morning of July 23rd, 1956, and this thought was in my mind. My life does not belong to me anymore. That was a drastic new thought for a nine-year-old. Pretty independent nine-year-old. Did a lot of things by himself, enjoyed being by himself, enjoyed going out into the woods and creating all kinds of imaginary things. And uh, my life does not belong to me anymore. Because you see, the truth of it is, though my old life came from my parents, that one that I once possessed, though my old life came from my parents, my new life, my real life came from Jesus Christ. And it had been planted in me by his Holy Spirit. That life has always been his. It's never been mine. Even though there's been times through the years I've been confused about it. A person cannot be born again and not know it. It's a change of life. It's not just an accepting of a new idea. Secondly, a person cannot be born again without the people around them noticing it. Those Jewish believers, Peter included, certainly noticed, and the reason they noticed is expressed in this third spiritual reality of the morning. We put it this way, spirit-initiated salvation cannot be contained. That is, not just held inside, not just squelched, not ignored by the person who receives it for sure. And there certainly was lots to notice in Cornelius' house that afternoon. Luke tells us, verse 46, they were, that is the speakers, the Holy Spirit had come upon the the. Gentiles, they were speaking in tongues and praising God. Now I imagine that the believers in the room, the Jews who were in the room, they understood everything those born-again Gentiles were saying. Just like the people had understood the Spirit-filled apostles on the day of Pentecost. They were speaking in tongues, but those listening to this tongue-speaking understood they were praising God. And they knew everything they were saying. And Peter could say it was just like on Pentecost. We were speaking, the speakers thought they were saying exactly what they would always say, but somehow the Holy Spirit in, enabled every single listener to hear it in their own native tongue. It was a miracle. And the same thing was happening here. This was not ecstatic utterance. This was a, the praises of God being declared in tongues that were heard and received and understood. The praises of God, the things that God had done. Many of them, they were probably just repeating some of the things Peter had said in his marvelous message. Oh, praise God for the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Lord of all. Praise God that Jesus Christ has been set up as the judge of all the earth, the living and the dead, and someday all things will be addressed. 
Justice will prevail. Righteousness will be renewed on the earth. Praise God. All these things they had just heard Peter declare. Now, if this, if this now old gospel song had already been written back in their day, those people would have been singing, Redeemed, how I'd love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. They, would have, they were praising God for being God. They were praising God for having changed their lives, for having come upon them, for having given them this sense of, of new life within. And they couldn't contain themselves. They couldn't not speak. I know almost all of us, somewhere along the line, have met a brand new Christian who just can't shut up. They're so excited about being saved. They're so excited about knowing that, that Jesus died for them. They're so excited. They're probably coming and asking you, you know, wow, have you been saved? And you say, yes, I am. I have. Years ago. And they might even say, oh, doesn't show. See, real salvation shows. It can't be contained. There's a joy that comes along with it. There's a delight that, that our sins have been forgiven, as Peter said. Forgiveness of sins are known in his name. And there's coming that day when, when eternal life will be ours. There's nothing like being born again. There's nothing like having the Holy Spirit create in you conviction of sin and a desperation for salvation and then point you toward the provision Jesus made for you on Calvary. Well, I'll tell you, without a moment's hesitation, those in whom the Holy Spirit has planted a new life, they respond with gratitude and praise, just as Cornelius and those with him did. See, the Holy Spirit puts new birth, new life into people, and that new life just yearns for the truths of God. And when those truths of God come, they are embraced, they are delighted in, they are submitted to, they are just made to be the, our understanding of how things are. And it's all because the Spirit of God has changed us into people who can respond, people who will respond, into people who will treasure these truths where maybe just a day, an hour, a week, a, a second before we ignored those truths, couldn't stand those truths, maybe even talked against those truths, and all of a sudden they've become precious. And we can't talk, stop talking about them. That's genuine spiritual life showing up in the life of someone who was once rebellious toward God. Well, here's the fifth spirituality. It arises from this incredible story. This one continually challenges me. Spirit-initiated salvation is confirmed in baptism. There's no denying that that's the way it was done in the early church. People got saved, they confessed faith in Christ, and they were baptized. Baptism was never a secondary decision. It was the confirmation of their born-again experience. It was a physical, visible identification of themselves with Jesus Christ, their Lord 
and Savior. Notice the attitude Peter had toward baptism. Here's what he said, verse 47. Surely, now he's watched them. The Holy Spirit came upon them. They're speaking in tongues. They're, they're praising God. They're completely changed. They're born again. They are, they are just a room full of spiritual energy. And Peter says, surely, no one. And he probably looked at the three guys or so that came with him from Joppa. No one, not you guys, and not me. We're believers in Jesus, and yes, we're Jews. We're the whole package. These Gentiles, though, look what's happening to them. Look what's coming out of their mouth. Look at what is being said. They're praising God. They've rejoiced. God, the Spirit, has given life to them. Surely no one, none of us, can stand in the way of their being baptized. Verse 48, and he, Peter, ordered that they be baptized. Now, that's quite a set of statements. I'm curious. Have any of us ever stood in the way of someone being baptized? It's a strange statement, isn't it? Strange question. Who would stand in the way of somebody wanting to be baptized? Peter says here, surely no one. No one can, no one should, no one's going to today stand in the way of them being baptized. Second question, have any of us here today been ordered by anybody to be baptized? That's quite a statement there. Peter ordered that they be baptized. We kind of appeal to people to be baptized. We suggest they ought to be baptized. We might say, well, since you were saved, have you been baptized? I was saved at nine. I was baptized when I was 21. I didn't even hear about believer's baptism during those in-between years. Peter ordered. Now, here's the deal. If you're going, you're going to receive new life from the Spirit of God, you're going to become a praiser of God, you're, you need to be identified by Jesus Christ, with Jesus Christ, in the way that he himself prescribed, and you need to be baptized. Cornelius, get some water ready. And then I thought myself, have I ever felt ordered to baptize anyone? By the Spirit himself? By somebody else? Has anybody ever said to me, Pastor, how dare you not baptize me? Well, I'd say no. He ordered that they be baptized. Like before the sun goes down today, this is going to be done. These are questions that challenge my own thinking all these years later. The practice of the church has varied greatly over the centuries with regard to baptism. In the first century, as we see in the book of Acts, baptism was immediate, always. By the second century, some church leaders were already requiring a two-year discipleship or what we would call a catechetical class to be completed before someone was considered ready to be baptized. Today, there are some churches in our, our community, in our country, in our world, 
that have their baptismal pool, their tank, filled all the time. So that whenever a profession of faith is made, the person can come and immediately be baptized. Not schedule a service. Not schedule a a time of organized preparation. But when somebody feels the Spirit of God has come upon them, they've yielded their lives to Jesus Christ, and they have been born again, why, the water's there. Don't even need a preacher to do it, really. Just come. It's part of saying, I belong to Jesus Christ. And, and so it challenges us on how we, how we go about doing these things. Seems pretty biblical, the ones that have their tank filled all the time. I'll meet you at the church in 15 minutes, you could say. Well, here's the last thing that I just want to pull out of this story. Spirit-initiated salvation creates fellowship. A sense of connection between Peter, the other believing Jewish men who were with him, and all these Gentiles who had just come to Christ. A sense of connection was created immediately. Cornelius and all the rest of them immediately said, Peter, can you just stay with us for a few days? Can you stay with us? Forget the Jew-Gentile thing. You're already in our house. God's already showed you that distinction is is being wiped away. We'll we'll never be a big deal again. Can you just stay with us? We, We have embraced the Savior, even as you have. A sense of we're we're two we're alike. We're together. We believe. We're of one heart and one mind. That, that fellowship bond is created as soon as there's spiritual life that's been generated. True conversion and heartfelt connection go hand in hand. They always do. Well, here's our final thought. Here's our final thought. We live in a world where millions of people claim some kind of Christian connection. Some kind of identification. I'm a Christian. You're a Christian? Yeah, we're Christians. We're not anything else. This final thought says this. Only salvations that are initiated by the Holy Spirit. Salvations where people have been talked into it by a a well-meaning evangelist don't necessarily qualify. Only salvations initiated by the Holy Spirit. Salvations that are the result of people forming their own impressions of who Jesus is and what Jesus does and what Jesus means and what Jesus will accept and what that means for me. They come up with their whole new notion. Jesus would have said, in the last days there will be many false Christs. Some of the most common false Christs are the ones we conjure up in our own minds. Well, my Jesus wouldn't want me to be unhappy. My Jesus wouldn't demand that of me. My Jesus wouldn't expect. Well, who cares what your Jesus will do? The Bible only talks about Jesus, the Son of God, the real one. 
the real one who came from heaven to earth, the real one who laid down his life on Calvary, the real one who sent his Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin and to draw the world into the truth of God and to put new life in them. Only salvations initiated by the Holy Spirit and demonstrated by the new believer in one way or another are genuine. That's what Peter saw happening right in front of him. Genuine salvation taking place. Genuine new life being given to, to people who were in need of God's forgiveness. And those are real. And those last. And those bring the Holy Spirit into a companionship with a human being that, that will just lead them through anything that comes. I trust that every one of us has been led to faith by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Not just accepting a notion that was shared with us by somebody, or just not just being part of something that seems to be a, a, better, a better way to live than other ways, but where you know beyond a shadow of a doubt there came a moment where the Holy Spirit himself put new life in you and you were born again and your thoughts your feelings your desires there was a part of you that was brand new it fights against the old part sure it does that's the spiritual battle but you know beyond a shadow of a doubt God gave you new birth and you want it to grow and you have come to know, hopefully, that the Holy Spirit of God is right beside you and he's walking with you. He's a gift. He's part of your salvation. He plants the life in you and then he stays to tend it and to nurture it and to guide it. And you can't not talk about it. You can't not forget that it happened. You know you belong to Jesus Christ. You know that there's a life in you that's going to be eternal when all other things fade away that the Spirit of God has given you new life. Oh, I trust you have. I trust you have. There's evidence that will be there right within your own heart if you have. And, and it's the work of God. And when you're sharing your faith with other people, don't feel pressure to try to bring them around to your way of thinking. You just tell them the marvelous truth of Jesus Christ. You tell them the thing that has changed you, the thing that, that defines you. You're a follower of Jesus. You're one whose sins have been forgiven by the Almighty God himself. You are one who's companioned by the Spirit of God and you're seeking every day to live in a way that honors and pleases Him. And if the Holy Spirit is, is working in them, you'll see uh, some desire being generated. If He's not, you'll see their eyes cloud over and you'll say, well, maybe someday. Maybe someday. Heavenly Father, we are in awe of the beginnings of this church, this very church, all the way back to the first century, that was our beginning as well. 
and to know that it was begun by, by men and women changed by the Holy Spirit, given new life, and they lived that life. Father, give us courage today to live that life, to know that the only thing that really matters is that the life that's in me, given to me by God, is the thing that's going to last forever. And it's the thing that God wants to, to grow through his Holy Spirit, wants it to control me, wants other people to notice it so that I might be able to share with them the marvelous truth of salvation through Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, just help us be those people. Thrill us. Give us a fresh appreciation for what the Spirit has done when he brought life to us. And we will, we will seek to be faithful to it, for we ask you for the strength in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.